Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at banyan.com. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Banyan Books Podcast. My name is Ross McKeechee. Today, our honored guest is Debbie Frank, joining us from London, England. Debbie is a world-renowned master astrologer with decades of experience in sharing, teaching, and providing life healing to her personal clients, which include celebrities, CEOs, and royalty. She continues to see clients who have been coming to her for over 20 years. Her most famous client was the late Princess Diana. Debbie became one of her inner circle in 1989, and they remained steadfast friends up until her death. Currently, Debbie is the weekly astrology columnist for Hello Magazine, and has also written columns for some of the UK's biggest publications, including the Daily Mail Online, Sunday Express, In Style, Sunday Mirror, and Daily Mirror. Debbie is the author of a number of books, including Written in the Stars. Today, she is in conversation with us about her newest book, What's Your Soul Sign? Astrology for Waking Up, Transforming, and Living a High Vibe Life. Anna Pasternak, writer and New York Times bestselling author, says this of Debbie Frank. Reading Debbie Frank is like going on an archaeological dig of your soul. She helps you excavate deeper parts of yourself to access greater self-realization, an essential tool if you have the courage to truly meet yourself. I really personally got a lot out of this book because Debbie gives the reader a link to where they can put in their information and receive a free birth chart. Then you can follow along through the chapters and focus on reading the information that is personal to your own chart. So it's interactive and it illuminates the path for accessing your own soul's gifts, learning and transformation. If you'd like to learn more about our guest today and her work, you can visit her website, which is debbiefrank.com. Everyone, please join me in welcoming Debbie Frank. Thanks for being here, Debbie. Oh, Ross, it's such a joy to be here, kind of vicariously in Vancouver, which is definitely one of my favorite cities in the world. I haven't been there for many, many years, but it really struck me as just so beautiful, it had such a special energy to it. So it's a delight to be connected, if only on frequency at this point. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So 
you've been doing this for a long time now, almost 40 years. You've been an astrologer. Really? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what a shock. Because used to hear that. <laughs> Not that anyone would guess it by looking at it. You're radiant. <laughs> In chapter one of the book, you tell us that astrology itself is a field of resonance. It's both incredibly simple and incredibly complex. I'm wondering if you can tell us from, from where you are now, how do you approach astrology as, as both what you call say it's a science and a sacred art? I think this is um, what has always continued to fascinate me about astrology and it just provides never ending intrigue as far as I'm concerned. Um, by its very nature, it encapsulates this duality of being a science and an art and of being very simple and very complex. And that's what I love about it, is that you can approach it or you can have an entry point, which is quite simple. For instance, you could find that your entry points into astrology are daily horoscopes, say. Um, and those are, by definition, quite simple. They're a bit like thought for the day just for your sun sign. And then um, if you start to really get into it uh, with a passion, like that's what happened to me, and I hope anyone reading my book will feel that that ignites in them, that actually um, there are all these layers, there are all these nuances. So we can't stay just on the surface because we want to dip in to see all the different contradictions that make us up and I think you know this is part of human nature isn't it that we're never just one thing we are all contradictory and I think in a way you know with my own clients um, they feel that sense of relief that their birth chart is a mirror of everything including their dualities their contradictions um, and so they feel seen on on every level um, so it's far from simple. As for being a science and a sacred art, well, I think maybe um, back in the day in Renaissance times, uh, we would not have found that challenging because doctors were schooled in astrology, for instance. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't differentiated in that way. It was thought by the Renaissance people to be a very academic subject. And of course, it really is a very learned academic subject if you delve into it very deeply. Unfortunately, of course, um, during the scientific age, the, it got kind of um, discredited or dismissed by um, the prevailing scientific mindset, which is predicated on the fact that if something can't be proved, can't be proven, then it, then it has no value or it can't exist, which actually is quite a tyrannical way of viewing the sacred arts or, or anything that has um, emotional appeal. I mean, when I'm confronted with cynics, say, um, I, I say to them, I ask them a simple question, actually, do you believe in love? And of course, they always say yes. And I say, well, how can you believe in it? Because you can't prove it. Okay, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's the thing. We can't just cut out things that can't be proven. But what is delighting me at the moment is that science is moving on a pace to the quantum area where it is on frequencies. And um, that's very similar to how astrology works. It's vibration and frequencies. So I think what we're really doing more is moving towards joined up thinking where the science and the sacred art will start to become friends again. This is my hope. <laughs> mm. That's awesome. That's great. 
And, you know, it, it does strike me as very quite obviously scientific. Um, maybe you can tell us about the time of birth and why that's important. Because there, I mean, there is actually observable realities going on with the planets when we're born. Yes, absolutely. Well, the, the calculation of the chart is in itself very precise and very scientific. And um, here in the UK where I live, of course, they don't write your birth time on your birth certificate unless you are a twin. And that's simply so there's no dispute over inheritance, nothing to do with astrology. <laughs> <laughs> but um, elsewhere, some places in Europe and in, in the US, I don't know, maybe in Canada, they do write it on the birth chart. And um, therefore, everyone is able to access that knowledge. Otherwise, here in this country, we're relying on um, the memories of the mother, perhaps, you know, many decades previously. Um, but, the, but the moment of birth, when we take our first breath, when we incarnate as souls into this earthly plane, is a very sacred moment. And the birth chart itself is like a, a map of the heavens. In fact, I'll, I'll hold one up. Um, so that everyone can see what a birth chart looks like. I don't know if you can see that. Um, yeah. So the moment of birth is here. Um, this is the ascendant, the rising sign. And that sets the framework for the entire chart um, because it's like a frozen moment in time um, where we're taking um, a, an absolute uh, look here at where the planets were at the exact moment that you were born. And then, of course, the planets themselves don't stop. Um, they carry on. I mean, the moon is the fastest moving celestial body, takes 29 days to go round every single sign of the zodiac. And the most uh, slowest is Pluto, it takes 248 years. Right. So they all, that's what I love about them in their stately motions. You know, they're all moving at these different speeds and everything. But your own birth chart is yours forever, forevermore. And, um, we're looking at what happens when the planets continue in their cycles and then start to pulse at this chart of yours. Um, and that's often a trigger point for awareness, for realizations, and sometimes, you know, obviously for events in our lives as well. So I think that um, that kind of groundedness of the birth chart, which is literally, um, you know, on, on the on the birth chart itself, you know, there we have the calculation for the exact moment that you were born. Um, and it sets the angles of the chart. Um, these are all to do with the rhythms of the day and night. And there they are um, encapsulated in our birth chart. It's really very special. Can you tell us a little bit more about the angles? That was something I didn't have any understanding of until I looked at your book. Yes, well, the angles are brought into being by the moment of your birth. So basically um, the sign that is rising is literally where, which sign is rising according to where you were born and the moment that you're born um, on the horizon. So it's like, you know, that's your, that's your sunrise or that's your rise. And um, on, on the opposite point of that is the relationship angle. So the ascendant is where you're meeting the world. It's what's rising. It's your moment of birth. And, and it's kind of, imprinted on you that's how you meet the world so let's just take an example um if if you have aries rising say well aries is a very um forceful sign it, it's you know a sign that wants to make a big impression it's in a hurry so you know often that says something about the actual birth maybe the birth was very quick 
Um, it all sort of happened um, very speedily and that person will continue to meet situations in life in this very strong way where they um, walk into a room and they make things happen and they're the big mover and shaker. And on the other end of that is always going to be the opposite sign. Well, the opposite sign to Aries is Libra. So Libra is the accommodating, compromising, people pleasing. So you'd find somebody with Aries rising would tend to attract magnetically someone who is more of a Libra type they may not be a Libra but someone who um, neutralizes that very fiery Aries energy by being a bit more um, socially skilled shall we say um, a bit more accommodating um, so those two angles are about what you're putting out and what you're receiving and then on the vertical angles which are the midheaven midheaven is up here and this is called the IC, the Imam Kohli. This one is about your purpose in life. Um, it's about what, what you're here to do and how you go about that. And this is the most private part of the chart. This is your home. It's who you are at home. It says a lot about your family. Um, so the angles themselves, if you just only know the angles, can tell you so much about who you are, both internally and out in the world. Yes, yes. And what about the nodes? This was another interesting, I mean, everybody tends to know their, their, um, their sun sign and maybe their rising sign, but I didn't mm. know about the nodes, the north and south nodes. Yeah, the nodes are often overlooked, but because I wanted to um, focus on a soul level, I felt I wanted to bring the nodes center stage, really, because they... I, I just see it so much in my work um, that there's always this node connection between people. So, you know, my clients in their relationships, their children, you know, there's always this nodal connection, which is a kind of um, fate and destiny connection, if you like. So the node, the north node is what you're here to learn in this life. And the south node is what you're bringing in with you. So it might say something about a past life. Um, so what, what we find is that in your connections with people, when you have that really deep sense of familiarity with someone, and I think we've all felt that um, at some points with people, you sort of feel as if you know that person, even though you've just met them. It's nearly always about the, the node. There's a, there's a nodal connection. And maybe they're going to be a mentor. Maybe they are teaching you um, how to move into your own North Node and, and learn these lessons that you're here to, to get in this lifetime. Or maybe that sense of familiarity is because it's around the South Node and you just get that sense, I'm so comfortable with that person, you know, automatically, I'm so open to that person because your South Node is conjunct their Venus or whatever. So um, it's very interesting. Right. Now, maybe we can just give an overview of the three categories of planets and then kind of go into more specifics about each of them. So we have the personal, the social, and the outer planets. Can mm -hmm. you give us kind of a, a just a general overview of those three? Yes, well, the personal planets really are the sun, the moon. The sun and the moon are called the luminaries, very luminous in our, in our skies. So the sun is the core essence of who you are. And the moon is your inner life and it's like your comfort zone, if you like. It can say also quite a lot specifically about the kind of mothering you had 
and also what kind of nurturing you give to other people sort of like how do you feel at home and it's very interesting you can sort of imagine that oh well everyone feels home to be you know there's it's a sort of generic term but it's very particular so somebody with the moon in Aquarius actually likes their home to be filled with people um, they don't really want to be at home too much they they really feel at home out there in the world Whereas someone who has the moon in cancer is really um, got that strong nesting instinct. You know, they want to stay in, they want to be rooted. So that's just a little example. And then Mercury is the planet of the mind. This is the mythology of Hermes, the messenger of the gods. Um, so this is how you think and how you communicate. And I mean, if only people would um, recognize this in, in the education system, we wouldn't have problems with, with trying to inform and teach people who learn through very different modalities, because you might have um, Mercury in Pisces and be very sponge-like, but rather unfocused or seem to be a bit dreamy. Um, or you might have Mercury and Taurus, which uh, really wants to understand things slowly and in a practical, methodical way. So how we communicate and how we engage with information is very much about where our Mercury is. Um, and we move on to Venus, that planet of love and relationship. Um, so with Venus, it's about our value system. We tend to love what we value. So um, what we like about a person, what we're drawn to in someone is because we hold those qualities, those values very dear. But it's also our aesthetics. I mean, Venus Aphrodite, she's the beautiful goddess. And um, it's very much about what appeals to us, even visually. I mean, it can be like, if you want to know the perfect gift for someone, take a look at their Venus, because it will tell you um, what they really find beautiful um, so and how do we love we love in very different ways um, what are we looking for I mean Venus in Gemini is a people person so they want to have a you know communication stimulation a meeting of minds they don't want to have all the time just two people they want to be out with friends and be as a couple um whereas say someone with venus and leo well they need a massive amount of attention and pizzazz you know um all the best things in life the qualities or the quality of life very important to them um venus and sagittarius wants to have a really good time they're fun they're adventurous you know venus and virgo is very picky and a bit critical but very much the fixer will sort everything out for you so i mean that's very interesting understanding we're all talking about you know the love languages we have um because it's it's what is love How, what makes you feel loved i mean we might be giving people love in a way that they can't receive it because if our venuses are incompatible we don't understand that that person making us a cup of tea was the same thing as them saying they love us right so if we know the venus we know the kinds of um things that are in their language hmm. and then we have mars yeah we have mars mars the god of war um so he's a bit of a thug um he's <laughs> He's like how we do things 
And we all need to get in touch with our Mars. Mars shows how we go about getting things done. So whatever sign it's in, if Mars is in Capricorn, then we're very professional. Um, you know, we want to do things properly. Um, if Mars is in Scorpio, then we don't really want to do anything unless we're very passionate about it. It's very, um, well, we, I don't know if you have Marmite in your country, maybe Vegemite, I don't know, but we have this saying over here, it's very Marmite because people love or hate Marmite. And that's the same as having Mars in Scorpio because they either love or hate, they're interested or they're not interested. Um, so yes, it's um, recognizing what our strengths are there. So these are all the personal planets. And these are the things um, that are very important and highly visible in our relationships with other people. Um, it's not just the sun sign. The sun sign is important, but I mean, if our moon signs are incompatible and that's what we're like at home, then you know how are we going to live with someone if our moon signs are incompatible? It's very lovely. We feel that real harmony when we've got um, compatible moon signs and compatible Venus, and and obviously meeting of minds with the Mercury, and the Mars is great as well. If we want, we're doing a project, a team with you know similar Mars and similar sign. Brilliant. Um, so those things are how we kind of go about our everyday lives, if you like. And they um, then, uh, well, we, we can move then to the, to the social planets, um, Jupiter and Saturn, who move much more slowly. Uh, Jupiter takes um, 11 to 12 years to go right around the zodiac, and Saturn takes 29 years to go right around. So we're starting to get these slower moving planets, and therefore they tend to be, um, we're looking more at generations. So people, for instance, in your year group at school, well, they're probably going to have Jupiter pretty much in the same sign as you. And it's, I, I think then we're starting to move into these waves, I call them waves, that, you know, we're part of something. Um, so Jupiter is a social planet because it's, it's our outlook on the world in a way. And it's very much to do with uh, whether we feel the world to be a benign place, a benevolent place, an abundant place. Jupiter is, you know, Zeus, the sky god, where everything is available. Um, if we have what I call a strong Jupiter, Jupiter is placed and he's touching one of the personal planets or he's on an angle, then we, we're a Jupiter person, we're larger than life, we're traveling, we're global, you know, we're all about fun, we make people laugh, we're a big personality. And then we have Saturn, um, Kronos. Saturn is a planet of karma. And he can be actually where our, where our core wound lies, where we feel, you know, a, a little bit insecure, but we cover it up. So it's where we might be a bit defended. And it's where many of our life lessons are. Um, but again, it's generational. Saturn spends around two and a half years in each sign. So we're, we're born in this wave where, you know, this is the work that our wave has to do. Um, and then, then we move on to the outer planets, which were discovered a lot later because, you know, the first one we meet is Uranus. And that was only discovered at the time of the French Revolution. And it's very interesting that Uranus itself is known as the planet of revolution. And there it was discovered at the time of the French Revolution. And uh, Uranus, um, there, there he is, is all about you know, how we make a difference, what, you know, to what extent we want to stand outside of the mainstream. 
um, you know, are we okay with making waves or to what extent do we want to conform? It's very different. Saturn, we want to conform. We want to do the right thing. Uranus, we want to be the rebel. We want to, um, we want to be free. We want to be liberated. Um, and when we have a strong Uranus in our chart, then our life path is going to be about doing it our way. So again, when I'm working with clients, say they're Venus and Uranus together, it's saying that their love lives are going to be very unusual, that their timing in life is going to be inside out. They're not going to be following their, their peer group necessarily. They're going to be attracted to people who are unusual. I mean, not the kind of person perhaps they ought in inverted commas to be with. Um, you know, so Uranus is doing your own thing and, and wanting to um, to to be yourself within a relationship, to want, want to not compromise on that level. And then we have Neptune, which is the planet of dreams and creativity. Um, and Neptune is about spirituality and sensitivity. And it's a great um, long time that Neptune spends. He spends 14 years in a sign. So it's a massive generational thing. Um, and at the moment, Neptune is in his home sign of Pisces. Um, and, I, and I think that Neptune is uh, the planet where we see our sensitivity and we see where we are open to the unseen and what our relationship is like with the unseen and whether we're able to make connections. Because it's definitely, you know, for sure that people who um, are more intrigued by astrology are those people who find it easier to work with symbols and connections and to find connections whereas you know there are some people who even if you point out a connection they don't really get it they don't see that things can be connected um, they, they don't see what's behind that so if you've got that kind of energy about you and you're a Neptunian say or you've got a strong Pisces in your chart, then all of this is, you know, you take to it like a duck's water to keep with the watery symbology of Neptune and Pisces. Um, it's um, definitely uh, somebody who's attuned to those subtle realms and energy bodies. And then last but not least, because he's the planet of power, is, is Pluto, which is the slowest one, as I mentioned before, 248 years. And Pluto is currently in uh, Capricorn doing a huge uh, demolition job through Capricorn, which is the structure of society, as we've seen. Um, so there he is. Um, and, um, you know, Pluto is uh, intense. Um, he He's very much associated with, you know, things that have been hidden that come up maybe from the underworld. He's the shadow side of human nature where things get exposed. Um, and he's about passion and power basically so we we can't just hide away from Pluto you know we have to make friends with Pluto we have to step into our power and that's really what this book is all about you know sort of seeing all of these energies I mean it's a bit like you know tarot cards where there are some difficult cards obviously in a deck there's a death card or that you know there are cards that were like ooh, and then there's you know some some planets in astrology like saturn and pluto it's a sharp intake of breath but actually nothing to be frightened of because we all have these planets and these planets are all part of our energetic frequency in daily life and we have to be able to step into our power and to embrace um, the not so nice and the nice um, and to evolve through all of this. And, and, you know, I think, you know, one of the most frequently asked questions I have 
in my readings are, you know, is it good or is it bad? And, and I always say, you know, that's, that's such an interesting question because in all my years, I've come to understand that, that really there's no such thing as good and bad. You know, they come together and often, you know, we prejudge and we think something is going to be absolutely lovely and it turns out to be so stressful and, you know, it's got a price to pay. And the things that were the most challenging, that's where we learn. And it turns out actually that in hindsight, it's the best thing that ever happened because it taught us such a lot. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting with the outer planets. They are... Um, they are connected with more of a challenge, but it's a challenge to evolve and grow. So we're either going to stay stuck and stagnant and not learn very much, which is fine. That's, that's everyone's choice. But it's actually great to just dive into these energies and, and go, okay, universe, give me what, what you've got and I'm going to go with it and come out the other side, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So there's a quick whisk through the planetary system. Yeah. Thank mm. you for that. Thank you. So, so that was a big overview. Just maybe I'll just quickly recap for everybody. So we just went through the, the three groups of planets, the personal planets, the social planets, and the outer planets. And, and Debbie gave us a nice overview of each one of those planets. I'd like to ask you about Mercury, one of the personal planets, because we're, I think we're just coming to the end of a Mercury retrograde. Is that true? We are indeed. Yes. Right. Yes, that's so, right. Goes direct on Monday. Um, yeah, so I've written a lot about Mercury retrogrades and I've just literally listed some of the um, crazy things that happen when Mercury is retrograde. In fact, we're, we're very brave doing this on a Mercury retrograde <laughs> because often <laughs> the technology gets affected. And it happened to me with a client yesterday, you know, the, the volume didn't work and then um, uh, the, nothing worked. So um, that can happen. Um, uh, that's a bit like a trickster energy with a Mercury retrograde. It can have like a trickster where um, nothing is as smooth as we would hope when, when Mercury is direct and we expect on a journey to go from A to B. But, you know, it often is a time when, you know, public transport doesn't work as it should, appointments and everything get rescheduled. That's on a very sort of basic level. But Mercury is currently retrograde in Libra. And Libra, of course, is the sign of justice and very much associated with relationships. And many, many people have been telling me during this retrograde cycle um, over the last three and a half weeks that um, either they haven't really had much energy to do very much. It's, it makes people go much more internal um, or that things from the past come up. So it's quite interesting sometimes, you know. This can be a relationship from the past or that you start to think it brings up things from the unconscious and we start to revisit um, what our pattern might be in relationships. So it can be an amazing time to do some inner work when Mercury is retrograde um, and we start to see um, what's going on with ourselves, actually. And um, we can get that epiphany and it's sort of like it slows down the noise in the outside world so that we can have a bit of a rethink. But I think it's very useful and often it's helpful as well to not be in a rush with our projects um, because if Mercury is retrograde, we sometimes need to revise or things that have gone on the back burner and you might have forgotten all about them. Suddenly you get an email, someone's interested in that again and it comes back to life. So it's sort of almost as if it changes our framing of time, past, present and future. It's a very interesting cycle. Very interesting. The other thing that you mentioned is that is that Mercury is uh, the planet of mental health. It's the planet of the mind. 
And I wanted to ask you about, you, you do talk about the environment that we're in today with constant 24-7 um, communication and connection yeah. to media. So how do we work with, with Mercury in our lives to create meaningful connections and to not be overwhelmed by the constant communication? Yes, well, I do think it really is vital to try and unplug um, and to choose your media. Um, you know, we tend to sort of become creatures of habit and we're always listening to something and really ask yourself, is what I'm hearing um, valuable to me? Do I really need to listen to all of this? Because this is where we get overwhelmed. Um, and I think it's about stillness, trying to find some stillness, trying to find some silence. Um, I think a great antidote is literally trying to walk in nature and a little bit of meditation, um, a little walking meditation. And personally, I find that very, very helpful to switch off and to commune with the energies, um, the universal energies rather than the media energies. Um, to, to actually just um, still the mind and, and, to, and to get that perspective of universality, I think that's very important. So I think if we're always on with media and this frenetic rushing around, um, we can tend to just get lost in it and it's incredibly debilitating for our energies. And we, we really do have such sensitive systems and subtle bodies. We get overwhelmed and we get what I call fragmented where we can't find the wholeness in ourselves. We get all split off from ourselves and we lose our balance. Wonderful, thank you. Thank you. Now, Venus, mm. planet of love. And this I found very interesting. I loved what you had to say about how Venus will magnetize what's in your frequency, whether we say we want it or not. Can you speak about Venus in the shadow and how we can avoid unconsciously attracting toxic relationships? Yes. Um, well, it is very interesting, obviously, because and nobody in their right minds would <laughs> consciously attract toxic relationships. So it's always in the unconscious. And there's always a hook that goes into um, perhaps a childhood pattern where it's tied up with our own um, sense of how we got through our childhood and um, we became someone perhaps who fixed other people or helped other people. Um, and then in turn, we continue to, although we're not looking for it in inverted commas, we continue to attract people who need our help. So for instance, we might have, um, you know, a big helper signature is, is Venus in Pisces or Venus in Virgo, um, who really, both of those give a lot to other people and maybe both of them can overgive. Um, now, it's not as if they're walking around, kind of going, sign up here, here please, get, you know, where's the nearest vampire so that I can be totally <laughs> drained by overgiving? And nobody would do that. But something about their energy um, is inviting that dynamic. I think it's really um, not about starting with the relationship, but starting with yourself and becoming aware of what is your relationship dynamic sort of take taking a look at your own emotional history or patterns you know what's the theme that runs through your relationships you don't even have to be an astrologer to look at that and then have a look at that with your venus in your chart and and where it is and whether there are other planets near to it and what kind of signatures you have so therefore 
Um, say you've got a Venus Pluto or a Venus in Scorpio, which is going to be this very intense energy so that you know that, you know, that boy next door or that girl next door isn't going to really do it for you. You want to go for that, you know, mysterious um, person who maybe gives off a bit of a vibe that would scare other people but for you you think oh I can handle that that's really intriguing um because you've got a Pluto in your chart that's strong or or the Scorpio um and it's about knowing yourself really and and kind of thinking consciously do I really want another project um do I really um want to get involved with um this power dynamic because that's really what the Scorpio and Pluto is about it's about the power and I think after a few times of always giving your power away in relationships you get to a place where you recognize that um it's not very healthy and that um you know that sometimes you know especially people with personality disorders you know they, they see you coming and so they will um try and be so charming to seduce you it's so it looks so seductive you think oh this person's just absolutely wonderful and of course underneath is um the vampire um or the person you know with a personality disorder the narcissist or whatever um so it's about recognizing and, and being a bit savvy i mean to really um not think that you know relationships just happen to you they don't you invite them in you invite certain patterns in and there's a reason why it's in your magnetic energy and even if you do have venus and scorpio what about going for a powerful love instead of a power struggle between two people it's like oh let's reframe this you know that's when it gets really exciting we can start to co-create with the universe and reframe these energies to make the love just incredibly powerful itself the love itself mm -hmm. thank you what about mars i've got a quote from the book um that says we need mars energy as we can't access our willpower without it it gives us the gift of manifestation, yet we need to ask what it is we really want from a deeper place than the small self, from a place of soul purpose. How do we tap mm. into that? Yes. Um, well, you know, there's definitely, and um, when we start to sort of unpick ourselves in our charts, you know, there's, there's the ego and then there's the soul and, you know, the ego might want very different things from the soul. So, you know, often um the ego is making a big fuss you know it can't get what it wants um it's throwing its toys out of the pram um and the soul um is really thinking hooray this person is going to learn so much from not getting what they want this is absolutely we're on soul purpose we're here you know so say if you've got mars in pisces and um you find it hard to assert yourself, say, because Mars in Pisces um, often has a bit of a tall poppy syndrome. In other words, they don't want to stand out from the crowd. They don't want to be too visible. Um, they, they want to fit in. They're sort of like the chameleons. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's a way of being with the Mars in Pisces, which is very soulful. It's about knowing that what you want has to be aligned with something that speaks to your soul because it's just never going to work. So, so in other words, doing what everyone else wants you to do is never going to satisfy you. And you'll just end up disappearing in a way. So, um, 
yeah, I think this interplay between the ego and the soul is fascinating. Um, I mean, I have a client, I always tell this story, um, obviously I'm not going to say their name, so it doesn't matter, but um, they, they always saying to me, um, you know, I, I really, you know, just want to be peaceful and I, and I want to be happy. And then the next breath they're saying, so Debbie, tell me, when am I going to get my private jet? And I just laugh and I say, you know, your soul doesn't care whether you have a private jet or not. <laughs> it's sort of funny. And then that person, she laughs as well because she knows that's just her ego talking, that really what she wants from the soul perspective is the peace. And that even if she had the private jet, so then she still wouldn't be peaceful because it wouldn't be big enough or whatever, whatever, you know. Um, so the ego can hardly ever be satisfied. As soon as we satisfy the ego, it wants more. That's its whole raison d'etre. But, you know, it's very interesting to look at where your Mars is placed because it tells you a lot about the ego. And of course, it's not to demonize the ego. We need the ego. The ego um, really helps us manifest and do things. And if you're not in touch with your Mars and you're not able to do anything, we can get very depressed. That's the flip side, you know, anger and depression. Um, if we're not using the mask to be in touch with our willpower, it, we can feel very down about that, very depressed. So it's good to use the ego. It's good to flex that muscle, but to recognize that underneath it, it's the deeper purpose. Just check in with your deeper purpose. Thank you. Moving on to the, the social planets, Jupiter and Saturn, how do they interact with our personal planets? Well, it depends where they're placed in your chart. Um, they might be on an angle, say, um, it might be that um, you have Jupiter on the relationship angle of your chart, and therefore you're going to attract to you a Jupiter type of person who brings Jupiter into your life. Um, so it will be, again, this, this very sort of larger than life person, a person um, who has a lot of confidence, who wants to um, live a big life, and they might actually be Sagittarian. Um, but, you know, if Jupiter is with any of your planets by aspect, and if you have your chart, you'll see on the aspect grid, which is this down, down here, and the ones um, from my book, they're actually listed, which makes it, I deliberately made it because that's that's advanced to have a, to understand what that means. In the ones you receive from my book, it actually lists the aspects that you have. And, you know, if you have any aspect between your personal planets and Jupiter, then you can access that Jupiter energy. This is, you know, the abundance. It's about looking on the bright side, looking more philosophically. Um, so, you know, it's looking to see where the opportunities are. If, um, you know, you have the Sun and Jupiter, then you know that really you're born to help other people. You're kind of there to help other people to show the way for them in a way, be a way shower. Because Jupiter has this kind of natural philosophy about life and, and can sort of be a healer in a way because you're saying to people, look, you know, look beyond what's going on for you. Look at the bigger picture. That's always Jupiter. Or look at the opportunity that's in here. So um, it's not just in your own life, but it's also for other people as well. Right. Okay. Thank you. And then we have the outer planets. And you talk about these um, generational waves. Mm. Can you 
tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, you touched on it uh, before, but can you can we go a little more depth? I was very curious about these generational ways. Yes, well, they are very interesting. I mean, one wave, which um, let's just look at some recent waves for some recent babies born. Okay, so the COVID wave, um, that COVID signature, which as an astrologer, I was looking at years before thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what on earth is going to happen here in January 2020, because there was a lineup of Saturn and Pluto together in Capricorn. Okay, so that wave is super intense. And um, that's a whole generation as well that's born. COVID may disappear eventually, but that generation who've come in with that COVID signature are going to be the ones that change the world in a way. Um, so it's it's kind of like the collective frequency. And, you know, you sort of see with these slower moving planets, you know, there are the war babies, the ones born in, say, the Second World War, you know, um, and they are very much people that have... Um, a, a tremendous grounding in, you know, how to be practical and get by when, when the going is tough, you know, and then there's, you know, other generations like millennials are very interesting, you know, they're born often, I mean, that's quite a big span of time, but a lot of them have Uranus conjunct Neptune, which is a frequency which is incredibly creative, it's very sort of otherworldly, um, and you can see this with millennials that, you know, the old setup and systems they they just don't mean anything to millennials um because they're attuned actually to more of this astrological vibration in a way you know they get that universal energy and you know that's really special um so they um they literally have an entirely different value system and they are very connected to each other that millennial way of thinking is a, you know a whole psychiest of its own isn't it mm. right so there really are these big differences between the generations yes yeah mm. thank you i mean there's there's so many things i'd like to ask you but i, I want to get on to some of our audience questions because yes, there's course. really good yes. ones here um the first one is from mary and she asks does astrology indicate or determine if a person takes a path of evil or great good for example, would Hitler's chart indicate what he would do in his life? Or what is the role of free will in such things? That's a very interesting question, Mary. Well, I don't have Hitler's chart to hand. I think he was a Taurian, as far as I know. Um, and even Hitler um, was also a painter, like Winston Churchill. I mean, you know, there was a kind of sensitivity somewhere in that nature. It's hard to believe, but yes. Um, and there is always free will, because there is no such thing as a totally evil chart. There is... Um, a, a destiny that a, a character can, a person can get caught up in where they um, only uh, access the dark, the shadow side. And we can only presume that's what happened there with Hitler. But I think in, as a general thing, um, we have to all of us own our shadow. We all have parts of ourselves that are vulnerable um, and that maybe are, you know, I mean, you know, that we're, we're envious of other people um, or we're so highly competitive that we'd ride roughshod over other people, whatever it is, you know, and it's sort of actually owning that part of ourselves and, and accepting it. It's not, um, it, it's sort of 
owning it, integrating it and making ourselves whole, that we have these aspects to our nature, but that we are a soul that can choose how we express and evolve and, and move up to a kind of elevation of the, the most noble qualities that we have in our charts. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Another question we have is from Bryn. Uh, Bryn asks, regarding generational waves, is it odd for a person to never relate to their own generation, but rather find partners and friends generally from the next generation younger than them in instead? For example, for years in my 30s and 40s, I always dated men 10 or 15 years younger, and my closest friends were in that age range. Not much connection to people my age. Mm. Well, um, the generational planets are by definition a sort of generalization, <laughs> it's not just a generation, you know, um, so not everyone is going to fit into their generation. It is a collective wave, but in that all these particles of people and individual souls that have their individual charts. So I would think that if we looked at your chart individually and specifically, um, that we would see um, perhaps it connects with another generation um, or that perhaps you have a very strong Uranus, in which case um, you're not going to want to fit into your generation because that's about standing outside and making your own choices and doing your own thing. So I would think that's quite possible for your chart. Mm. Excellent. Thank you. The next question is from Christina. Christina asks, what do you feel are the most difficult aspects to overcome in a chart? For example, Saturn opposed Mars in certain houses. Are there any placements that you feel are very challenging to creating a stable and healthy daily life? I think when we look at the chart, um, I mean, it never ceases to amaze me, the, wond the wonderful human spirit that we have. Sometimes, obviously, I'm looking at a chart before I meet with a client, and I might be thinking, gosh, you know, this has got quite a lot of challenges in it, this chart. And yet, I'm absolutely amazed at the power of the spirit, where they have created stability, and they have overcome very difficult circumstances. I don't think there's any one particular signature. I I would say that because of the emphasis in our Western world in particular of um, everything being very out there and extrovert, I would say that when I see a lot of planets in the 12th house, and here's an example of many planets in the 12th house, um, then the 12th house is spiritual and it's mystical and it's inner and it's it's one of those areas which it's hard to access. So it can be very difficult for that person to feel that they belong in the world or that they can even understand themselves because there can be a tremendous amount of unconscious energy going on there. So I think that's one of the hardest um, houses to unpick, no matter whether you have one planet there or several. Um, but the riches that are contained in there are absolutely enormous. Um, I mean, obviously the eighth house, which is the Scorpio house of, um, of intimacy, 
um, shared resources. It's also in medieval astrology known as the house of death. I mean, not that we predict death, but um, you know, it's, it's um, a place where we go deep, deep, deep. That's another area that people wouldn't particularly, you know, it's not exactly light and frothy material, is it? Um, but what you find with that is that a lot of people, you know, they might be in the financial world, you know, they're dealing with shared resources that way. Um, or they might be psychotherapists and dealing with a lot of people's um, energies that are um, underneath and doing all of that kind of Scorpio work. Um, as I said, really, it's, it's not to um, be, is it good or bad, but to actually find what is the highest um, that we can find within this place. Mm. Thank you. There's a question from Shelley who says, can you talk about the quintile and biquintile? I have Sun Leo fourth quintile, ascending Tau and Mars cap, eighth Jupiter Pisces. That's a lot of information, but. Yeah, well, quintiles are, you know, very much what I would call the special aspects. I mean, they often denote very special talents. I think um, for the purposes of my book, I did not go into any of what I would call the minor aspects because they're quite rarefied in a way and quite advanced. And so in my book, I, I wanted people, because we're talking about the soul in quite an advanced way, I didn't want to go into the technicalities that could be overwhelming. But um, you've got a lot of special energy there. Let's just say that. A, very, uh, a lot of special talents that you could tap into. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Here's about the soul. There's a question from Leah who says, is the soul not in the baby at its conception? Please clarify this concept. Thank you. Yes. Well, there is such a thing as a conception chart that you can do. Um, and um, the prenatal eclipse. I mean, of course, the soul is beyond our birth. I mean, it's, it's, infinite it goes beyond you know all our specific lifetimes um we're talking about um the moment at which the soul truly incarnates and the intention of the soul is there for our chart obviously because and it's my belief that um it is our soul that chooses our chart so we're very much involved with designing what are our life lessons going to be and therefore we would choose not only our chart but some of our big relationships with family and loved ones and certain um, life challenges and things that we are here to learn so the soul is omnipresent it's just about the entry i mean the soul can be super close kind of and um, but at the entry point coming in coming into our body i mean we in our first breath, we really incarnate. You know, that's when we are here in the world by ourselves. We're not inside the mother's womb anymore. And therefore, this is the start of our earthly life. And that's really the start of our true spark of life and our, and our soul to be connected with. Thank you. There's a question from Carla. You had mentioned at the start that some people might not know the hour of their birth. So she asks, what if one doesn't know the hour of one's birth? Yes, well, I have to say, I've got a lot of experience with that. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes um, 
it's just given within like say somebody the mother will say well it was in the afternoon and then i'll 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 ask questions maybe by the client what does your mother mean by the afternoon um you know if it's tea time what what kind of time is that normally for her you know or um it's it's an interesting one trying to sort of refine it um there are people who specialize in what's called rectification which is um a very complex thing where you would write down all important events that have happened in your life, the dates, and somebody can have a look to see how that um, connects with your chart at various times of day and start to narrow it down. There are some experts in that. I wouldn't claim to be an expert in that, but I have definitely helped um, within a time frame. I mean, there are various ways. Some people tell me that um, they've doused for their time of birth. Some people tell me kinesiology has told them their time of birth. Um, you know, um, even my own daughter who's adopted, this is the ultimate irony, I do not know her time of birth. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we work, but I mean, not knowing the exact time, you still know where most of the planets are located in terms of the signs. And therefore, there's still a lot that you can actually know for sure about that chart, even if you don't know what the rising sign is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, thanks. I think we have time for one more question. This one's from Ray, who says, thank you for your wonderful wisdom, Debbie. The Come nodes... On. The nodes are direct in my chart, North Node in Taurus. I haven't found much information about what this means. Do you have any insight about this? Thank you. Oh, I do. Do you know what? The insight I have is that the nodes are going to come back into Taurus very soon. And this is a 19-year cycle. So you're going to have what's called a nodal return, which is a time of great meaning in terms of your destiny. So you need to be looking um, in 2022 uh, at um, where you feel you are in your destiny and have a look back 19 years to see if that ticks any of your boxes in terms of a cycle. The North, the North Node in Taurus means that you have the South Node in Scorpio. So you um, have got a tremendous amount of soul wisdom that you've built up from the south node in Scorpio and you're trying to find stability in this lifetime the stability of Taurus but you are coming into this super important time I know we, we've got to wrap up haven't we we're so on the on the clock unfortunately yeah um, but thank you yeah mm. Debbie thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today it's, it's been so lovely to connect with you and all the people on the call and um, it's absolutely my pleasure and you can follow me on instagram as well it's debbie frank astrologer um and please visit my website um have fun with my book um i've had such fun writing it and i really hope that it speaks to you and you kind of connect with the, with the passion for astrology yes for everybody's reminder, the book is called What's Your Soul Sign? Astrology for Waking Up, Transforming, and Living a High Vibe Life. We've been speaking with Debbie Frank. Thank you to everybody for joining us live, everyone in the Banyan Books community, and to our producer, Jacob, who does so much in the background. Debbie, thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Bye.
Thanks for joining us for Branches of Wisdom, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970. Our podcast producer is Jacob Steele. The show is edited by Abdo Habani. And I'm your host, Ross McKeechee. Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at banyan.com.